I'm about to say something incredibly controversial, and that is that Transformers is one of the most important and culturally significant films ever made. And I know that probably sounds crazy, but I 100% believe that, I stand by that, and I will die on that hill. Because Transformers, to me, is the gold standard for summer blockbusters. And I don't think it gets enough credit for its technical achievements that up until that point in 2007, we have never seen before. And honestly, truthfully, after watching all six of them for this episode, I'm not sure that we have ever surpassed it. Looking at films today, looking at movies today, I just, I don't think they hold a, a candle to it. It's, I don't want to spend a lot of time on of this podcast, like shitting on other movies, but I think increasingly within the past few years, there has been an issue and a problem with the CGI and VFX work in a lot of huge blockbusters coming out. And I don't mean that as a dig at the artists and talent behind making those, because I've mentioned before on this podcast how much the the, the VFX artists and the crew of these films are taken advantage of and completely treated horribly. And there's so many, if you're interested in reading about that, there's so many articles about how, particularly with Marvel, a lot of VFX artists are deciding not to work with them. I just read one recently um, because the working conditions are so horrible and everything is so rushed and it's making everyone's lives miserable. And I've I touched upon this in the Film Degree Awards episode on how they don't have a union to protect them. And I think post-Transformers, we are really starting to see that yes, a lot is capable with this technology, but you can't rush it. And I don't think Transformers has ever rushed it. Maybe they have and they just somehow were able to pull it off because there really isn't a Transformers movie that looks bad visually, like at all. And that is something that I really think needs to start being addressed and they need to start getting recognition for that because these movies are hated on. Like, let's be real. Everyone hates the Transformers series, even though that they've made billions of dollars at the box office. They are a punching bag for honestly everyone. And I think I'm about to make my case on why I just think it's super fun. And you know what? That's probably not the right word to use. I'm not going to make my case because some of them, I will say, are genuinely horrible. But I do think the first one is incredible and I will stand by that. But watching them all as an adult is definitely a different experience than what I thought it was going to be like. I've seen one and two quite a bit. So I don't know why this was a shock this time. I think maybe I'm thinking of it more critically and putting on my adult lens and kind of picking apart certain things. But on the surface, I always think that Transformers had a very Republican aesthetic. It was always pushing this military propagandist view. <laughs> and it truthfully looked like a like a commercial to join the military. In my head, because of that, I always thought that was its one viewpoint. But then I 
started to realize that I think this movie kind of shows a lot of viewpoints in America. This whole series, actually, not just this movie, this whole series is very anti-government and very anti-police. Not only is, I mean, the government is all evil in this series. Like, I don't think there's a single good politician in any of these movies, but the police... <laughs> Not only is the main Decepticon in the first film a police car, all of the police officers that are ever in the series are portrayed as bumbling idiots. And that Decepticon Transformer, the police one, has <laughs> to punish and enslave written on it. Like, I don't, like, that's not subtle at all. And I don't know how I never noticed that, but let's just talk about the original Transformers film, which a lot of these I have not seen in years. I've seen the first two quite often, I would say. But once you get later into the series, I have chosen not to rewatch those. And I believe for good reason. And we will get into that. But I just think that Transformers is the start of photorealism on a scale that we have never seen before in 2007 and it's just it still passes for today's standards and e even better than today's standards like I said because I think those standards dropped a little bit and I'm no VFX artist I don't even know how it works I don't know how to put it together I'm not I don't know how they design it especially at the scale of Transformers with how they transform and how we literally see every piece transform and how it shouldn't make sense, but it does make sense when it transforms. Like, I don't know how they do that, but I think that the the true cherry on the top of all the effects that are done in the Transformers series, especially the first one, is that they are actually filmed on location and nothing beats natural light. Trying to replicate natural light, I think you can tell. And I just think it looks so much better because it is not filmed on a massive green screen studio. And it has the perfect mix of practical and CGI effects. And together, just the grand scale of these effects and the fun that this movie exudes makes this the perfect summer blockbuster. And I think it is everything a summer blockbuster is meant to be. It is big, it is fun, and it has this timeless quality to it that is very reminiscent of E.T., which really isn't a shock to me because Steven Spielberg did help produce this movie, and it focuses on the story of a boy in his car, and I think that quality lacks later on within the series, so I think this film has a lot of heart and soul to it, and it does kind of feel like a modern take on E.T. or E.T. for 14-year-old boys with raging hormones, I guess is how I would describe the first Transformers movie. And I I do think that the heart in it and the soul has a, is a lot due to the cast, which I also don't think they get enough credit either. Really, I don't think the first Transformers movie gets any credit whatsoever because I don't care what anyone's opinion is. Transformers 1 is an incredible movie. And I think the discussion ends there. It just is. If you think it's not, you're wrong. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox have an intense chemistry that is the glue of the first two movies. And yes, we will 
talk about Megan Fox later on in the episode, but a lot of people put a lot of hate on the human characters because they just want to see these huge robot action sequences. But I think it was extremely smart to put focus in the human characters and to really put the action from the lens of humans on the battlefield as well. Like It's almost like we are watching it from their perspective. And I think that's what makes it even more grand in scale or have more wonder to it because it's just like it's like seeing a buffalo in person or an elephant if that makes sense (laughs) it's just like wow i can't believe we are seeing this like i don't know if that makes sense but i think seeing the transformers on screen is the equivalent of seeing an elephant in person (laughs) and i just think the perspective of sam and michaela and their relationship with bumblebee it's what gives the film that heart and the sense of wonder that I think we are missing from a lot of blockbusters today. And yes, Michael Bay sucks and I hate him, but he does know how to make a great shot. He knows how to make an action set piece. He knows how to make the visuals. And I don't think, I think it's rare, I'll say, because we will talk later on about my thoughts on this series, but I think it's extremely rare for Michael to kind of pass something off and not let it look good. Like these movies, for the most part, again, foreshadowing, but for the most part, look fucking great. Not just like the CGI and effects, but I think the vibrancy of it, the saturation of it, the camera work in it, especially the second one, I think the camera work on the action sequences are really interesting. They There's a lot of like long swoops in it and camera movements. I just think these movies, they they look great. And I don't know how to explain it, but I think the first film is a solid mix between the blockbuster action films of the early 2000s mixed with the modern take that we have today. It is the perfect blend and mesh of those two. And by that, I mean like, think of the second X-Men movie meets Avengers Endgame. Like to me, Transformers is a blend between the scale of those two films. I am personally a huge fan of that era of action movies. Like the original two Fantastic Four films. I think those movies have such a small scale to them. They're very street level, but they also have such a, it feels like there is stakes to it. And that's what I think Transformers has. It feels small, street scale, but also it has these crazy robot monsters in there that look so real and something that at the time of 2007, we have never seen before. I remember seeing this in theaters for the first time and being in complete awe because I've never seen something like it. I had no idea going into it what this movie was going to be like. I'd never seen a trailer for it. My mom just brought my whole family and I never looked back. I was like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I don't know how they were able to pull it off like the fact that they were able to pull this movie off, this could have been such a colossal flop effects wise and could have been so embarrassing. And somehow it's the gold standard and we need to start recognizing it as the gold standard. Go rewatch Transformers right now and tell me that those effects 
look terrible because you can't. You can't say it with a straight face because they don't. They look amazing. They are amazing. So yeah, I love this movie. I can't get enough of it. I love it so much. I think it is just the perfect amount of fun, the perfect amount of insane manic energy that Michael Bay brings to these movies. And I think Michael Bay really just, I don't, I think every single movie Michael Bay has made feels like it's a summer movie. He can make a movie set in the middle of Christmas. He can make a Christmas film and it'll feel like summer. So when it comes to a summer blockbuster, Michael Bay knows what he's doing. And I hate giving that man credit. I really do. But I love this movie. Like the action is so great. The cast is so great. The CGI, the effects are so great. The music is so good. The What I've Done by Linkin Park is iconic. I think that Transformers changed the way blockbusters are made. It changed our perception of what is possible with film. It really did change film despite what I think people want to believe. Because before then, I can't think of a movie that was to this scale of technical achievements since Jurassic Park in like, what, 1994, 1993? I can't remember when that came out. So I highly recommend watching this movie because it truly is a really good time. And I do think that the sequel is also really great, which is, uh, it came out in 2009 called Revenge of the Fallen. And it did, it was even more successful than the first one. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen gets a lot of hate and I get it. The plot is incoherent and completely convoluted. It has this insane maximalist aesthetic with nonstop massive action that is just mind numbing. There are never ending glamour shots of Megan Fox. It's even more vulgar and manic than the last. Everyone is spray tanned orange. Shia LaBeouf, John Turturro, and Raymond Rodriguez are all fighting to be the loudest, most annoying person on screen. It's really the most overstimulating experience to watch this movie, but it is just so fun and insane. And I think that the sheer scope of what this movie is trying to accomplish borderline makes it a masterpiece. <laughs> like, yes, I understand that this movie is a hot ass mess, but also I recognize that this movie is one of the most fun times I've ever had watching a movie. And honestly, watching the end battle in Egypt gave me extreme anxiety because just knowing all of the work and prep that would have had to have gone into something so insane, so massive, and so dangerous. Like, honestly, the, the making these movies is dangerous. And making any movie is dangerous, but a movie to this scale, the movie, a movie with this many explosions, a movie that is spearheaded and led by Michael Bay, who pushes everybody notoriously... It's a dangerous situation, and I can't imagine what the crew went through to pull it off, and the fact that they do pull it off, and that it is one of the most insane things ever put on film, is incredible to me. And I do think that this movie works because I do think it also has the heart that the first one does. While the first one is very like a boy in his car, a very E.T. type story, this one is a boy and his first love, and I think it has a right amount of fun, crazy energy. 
insane visuals and then heart put into it with the characters played by Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox that it it does work and I just I don't think we've ever seen an action movie be as insane as this one but the thing that I think makes this even more special even better than the blockbusters today and I will say this is again another controversial take but I would rather watch Transformers 2 over just about any Marvel movie ever made. And again, I I don't want to be a hater on Marvel. I really don't. But increasingly, you can just tell that those movies are not filmed on location and they just visually look really flat. Yes, I think a lot of the writing is better than Transformers Revenge of the Fallen. I will be the first to admit that the writing in Revenge of the Fallen makes no fucking sense whatsoever. It's stupid. It doesn't matter that they don't make sense. Just watch it. It's fun. And I would rather watch Transformers than a lot of the Marvel movies because, well, you can tell that they don't film on location and they're visually flat. This one is not visually flat in the slightest. And they film on some crazy, crazy locations, like insane. Transformers Revenge of the Fallen filmed on the actual pyramids of Giza, and that just <laughs> doesn't happen. And I can't believe that they were actually able to do that. And like, just thinking, like, Transformers filmed on the pyramids. When was the last time Marvel filmed outside of a green box? Like, honestly, the movie looks great. It's sunny. It's a saturated CGI fest. The CGI looks good. I do think there's a few shots that don't age as well, like as, as well as the first film, um, just because I think everything in this one is so much bigger, even the the CGI and the designs and the effects, everything about this is the first film on crack. And some of that didn't age well, but I would say 99% of it did. And watching the Egyptian battle with Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox running through Egypt with explosions around them, which by the way, there was a thousand gallon gasoline bomb that they detonated or whatever lit or whatever. I don't know the technical terms on the set. And it has a Guinness world record for like biggest bomb filmed near actors. And I can't believe that they even let the cast film near these explosions because it's insane. I don't know how they pulled it off, but everything like just watching that sequence alone makes this movie this convoluted mess so worth it like this the explosions that jump that they do between the buildings it's just so fun it's so fun but i can't mention this movie without mentioning the unfortunate aspects of it as well because these movies aren't perfect not technically with their writing but also just like morally <laughs> the extreme sexualization of Megan Fox and Isabel Lucas is to insane degrees here. And that's just not talking about on screen. That is talking about on set as well, which we will talk about soon. But I mean, like just the character of Michaela played by Megan is labeled as stupid and hot throughout the whole thing. All jokes revolving her character are made at her expense sexually. We have a tiny robot humping her leg. We have her landing on the character Leo's dick during the the transportation scene to Egypt. We it's just it's all 
pretty gross, but I think the the grossest aspect of this movie is the twins. And if you've seen this movie, you know what I'm talking about. There's these two Autobots who are some of the most racially insensitive stereotypes I have ever seen. Ever. And it I don't think you can talk about this movie without mentioning that. It is extremely unfortunate. It is wildly inappropriate. It is insane that it even made it onto the film. It is something that nobody has taken any accountability for. While doing this episode, I was just doing some research and there was just this thing I read where the writers were blaming it on the the voice actors. The voice actors were blaming it on Michael Bay. Michael Bay was blaming it on the writers. And then the writer of the novelization was blaming it on the writers of the movie. Like no one would take credit for it. And thankfully they never show up in any of the future installments. And it does take you out of the movie quite a bit. Um, Everything to their look let's just say they have very a very distinct face they have gold teeth the way they speak the fact that they can't read it's pretty bad it's it's more than bad and yeah this series is no stranger to controversies because while we can't talk about revenge of the fallen without mentioning the racial insensitivities of it we can't talk about dark of moon without talking about the treatment of women and how Megan Fox are treated not only on set, but on film and by society and by the media. And to address this elephant in the room, she was fired from the third film and it destroyed her career. She was blacklisted for it. And the excuse that they used for her firing was a comment that she made while promoting the film Jennifer's Body, which you know is a film so near and dear to my heart. It is one of my favorite movies of all time. But the exact quote is this. She was asked, I'm going to start with some questions my brother has for you. The first one, what are your most favorite and least favorite things about working with Michael Bay? She said, God, I really wish I could go loose on this one. He's like Napoleon, and he wants to create this insane, infamous madman reputation. He wants to be like Hitler on his sets, and he is. So he is a nightmare to work for, but when you get him away from the set and he's not in director mode, I kind of really enjoy his personality because he is so awkward. So hopelessly awkward. He has no social skills at all, and it's endearing to watch him. He's vulnerable and fragile in real life, and then on set, he is a tyrant. Shia and I almost die when we make a Transformers movie. He has you do some really insane things that insurance would never let you do. So she was fired for that. And we w- I will be commenting on that in a second. But to give you a glimpse into how awful Hollywood treats women, specifically how Hollywood treated Megan Fox, this is, an, and I put in air quotes, anonymous letter written by three Transformers crew members and was posted publicly to Michael Bay's own website. This is an open letter to all Michael Bay fans. We are three crew members that have worked for Michael for the past 10 years. 
Last week, we read the terrible article with inflammatory, truly trashing quotes by the Miss Fox about Michael Bay. This letter is to set a few things straight. Yes, Megan has great eyes, a tight stomach we spray with glycerin, and an awful, silly Marilyn Monroe tattoo plastered on her arm that we cover up to keep the moms happy. Michael found this shy, inexperienced girl, plucked her out of total obscurity, thus giving her the biggest shot of any young actress's life. He told everyone around to just trust him on his choice. He granted her the starring role in Transformers, a franchise that forever changed her life. She became one of the most googled and oogled women on earth. She was famous. She was the next Angelina Jolie. Hooray! Wait a minute. Two of us worked with Angelina. Second thought, she's no Angelina. You see, Angelina is a professional. We know this quite intimately because we've had the tedious experience of working with dumb as a rock, Megan Fox, on both Transformers movies. We spent a total of 12 months on the set making these two movies. We are in different departments. We can't give our names because sadly doing so in Hollywood could lead to being banished from future Paramount work. One of us touches Megan's panties. The other has the often shitty job of pulling Miss Sour Pants out of her trailer while the other is near the Panaflex camera that helps to memorialize the Valley Girl on film. Megan has the press fooled. When we read those magazines, we wish we worked with that woman. Megan knows how to work her smile for the press. Those writers should try being on set for two movies. Sadly, she never smiles. The cast and crew and director make Transformers a really fun and energetic set. We've traveled around the world together, so we never understood why Megan was always such the grump of the set. When facing the press, Megan is the queen of talking trailer trash and posing like a porn star. And yes, we've had the unbearable time of watching her try to act on set, and yes, it's very cringeable. So maybe being a porn star in the future might be a good career option, but makeup beware she has a photograph tattooed on her backside, probably due to her rotten childhood. Easily another 45 minutes in the chair. So when the three of us caught wind of Miss Fox pontificating yet again in some publication, like she actually has something interesting to say, blabbering her trash mouth about a director who we three have grown to really like, she compared working with Michael to working with Hitler. We actually don't think she knows who Hitler is, by the way, but we wonder how she doesn't recognize what a disgusting, fully uneducated comment this was. Well, here, let's get some facts straight. Say what you want about Michael. Yes, at times he can be hard, but he's also fun and he challenges everyone for a reason. He simply wants people to bring their A-game. He comes very prepared, knows exactly what he wants, involves the crew, and expects everyone to follow through with his or her best. And that includes the actors. He's one of the hardest working directors out there. He gets the best from his crews, many of whom have worked with him for 15 years. And yes, he's loyal, one of the few directors we've encountered who lowered his fee by millions to keep Transformers in the United States and California so he could work with his own crew. Megan says that Transformers was an unsafe set. Come on, Megan, we know this is a bit more strenuous than the playground at the trailer park, but you don't insult one of the very best stunt and physical effects teams in the business. Not one person got hurt. And who is the real Megan Fox? She is very different than the Academy nominee and winning actors we've all worked around. She's as about ungracious as a person you can ever fathom. She shows little interest in the crew around her. We work to make her look good in every way, but she's never appreciative of anyone's hard work. Never a thank you. 
All the crew members have stopped saying hi to Miss Princess because she never says hello back. It gets tiring. Many think she just really hates the process of being an actress. Megan has been late to the sets many times. She goes through the motions that make her exude this sense of misery. We've heard the ADs piped over the radio that Megan won't walk from her trailer until John Turturro walks first. John's done 75 movies and she's made two. Never expect Megan to attend any of the 15 or so crew parties like all the other actors have. And then there's the classless night she blew off the royal prince of Jordan, who made a special dinner for all the actors. She doesn't know that one of the Grips' daughters wanted to visit their daddy's work to meet Megan, but he wouldn't let them because he told them she is not nice. The press certainly doesn't know her most famous line. On her first day in Egypt, the Egyptian government wouldn't let us shoot because of a permit problem as the actors got ready in makeup at the Four Seasons Hotel. Michael tried to make the best of it. He wanted to take the cast and crew on a private tour of the famous Giza pyramids. God hold us witness, Megan said, I can't believe Michael is fucking forcing us to go to the fucking pyramids. I guess this is the Hitler guy she is referring to. So this is the Megan Fox you don't get to see. Maybe she will learn, but we figure if she can sling insults, then she can take them too. Megan really is a thankless, classless, graceless, and shall we say, an unfriendly bitch. It's sad how fame can twist people and even sadder that young girls look up to her. If only they knew who they were really looking up to. But fame is fleeting. We've been behind the scenes, seen him come and go. Hopefully Michael will have Megatron squish her character in the first 10 minutes of Transformers 3. We can tell you that that will make the crew happy. Signed, Loyal Transformers Crew. So after this letter was published, Megan was defended by one Transformers crew member and... Take a wild guess as to who also did not work on Transformers Dark of the Moon. You guessed it. Yep, this this crew member. So he wrote a response letter and he said, First of all, I would like people to know, for all those who are interested, the reason why I'm writing this letter is to clear my name in any of this Miss Fox bashing. As someone pointed out in one of the responses, you could narrow down the list of potential writers of the letter by looking on IMDb. I've received a few phone calls from people who have read the letter and they know that I have worked closely with the actors and actresses on the film, so I felt I should at least clear my name. My name is Anthony Steinhardt and I have worked on both Transformers movies and had the pleasure of working with Miss Fox. I read the letter by the three unnamed crew people and was blown away by their description of Miss Fox, especially since I am the one usually getting Miss Fox at her trailer. I have personally never seen nor ever witnessed Miss Fox being rude or inconsiderate of anyone's feelings or the work to be done. Everyone is entitled to their good days and bad. Contrary to popular belief, she is like us, human, and has both good and bad days as well. Working on the Transformers movies can be intense at times, and sometimes intense situations cause intense moments. Some of these examples the three unnamed writers gave as evidence of Miss Fox and her horrible attitude are so ridiculous. It's unfortunate the grip didn't want to bring his daughter to the set because Megan wasn't nice, but not the fact that we had a closed set. No visitors unless approved by the unit production manager. That is what the call sheet has always said. By the way, Miss Fox wished my 12-year-old brother a happy birthday over the phone while we were shooting in New Mexico. Not so heartless. It's also unfortunate that she didn't attend any of the, in quotes, 15 parties, but I clearly remember hanging out in New Mexico with some of the crew and watching her get hounded by passerbys as she walked through the hotel lobby and being nothing but gracious to her fans. 
Also, isn't it refreshing to hear that she doesn't need to be a part of the party machine that sometimes swallows people whole only to spit them out on the front page of every magazine? And incidentally, if these crew members were at the rat party, I only saw two cast members there. Granted, I wasn't there the whole night, but I was there long enough to know that others probably weren't going to show. I also remember walking with her through the hordes of people lined up while we shot at Princeton, and she signed autograph after autograph. She signed many publicity photos, magazines, pieces of white paper for the crews and their families. Now, I know this isn't the same as curing a disease, but if we are to take anything an actor slash actress says or does too personally, then I fear we have a far greater problem on our hands. Unfortunately, I don't always keep up with or hang up on quotes or quips actresses say. So I wasn't familiar with the incident that incited this tasteless letter, but nonetheless, leave the war of the words to those involved. No need to drag her name through the mud and at the same time unknowingly bring others down. So I have said far worse about my boss than what Megan said about hers, and I guarantee everyone listening has done the very same. And I can't fully get into the treatment of Megan Fox on the set of Transformers or by society, especially during this time, because it would be a 10-hour episode. But what she went through was awful. And if anyone should have been fired, it is Michael. And you can watch any behind-the-scenes footage that features Megan Fox, and you will not only see that she was sexualized on the screen, but she was sexualized on set by that man. And an instant that really stuck with me on one of the like bonus features on the DVD was um, one, it was there was a portion of it just completely dedicated to how sexy and gorgeous Megan Fox is. But within that segment, there is footage of Megan asking questions about what is about to happen in the action scene and like what they're gonna throw on them or something, like rocks or whatever. And without answering, Michael, in front of everyone on set, proudly states that he is going to, and I quote, slap her ass. And this behavior was a staple on set, and Megan was not fired over that comment. She was fired because she challenged the boys' club, and she was punished for repeatedly speaking out, and they used that comment as a scapegoat to get rid of her. These men destroyed her career, they destroyed her reputation, and I'm glad that this treatment was reevaluated in 2020, but it is something that should have never been needed to be reevaluated because Megan was the Me Too movement before it was a movement. But the issue was that feminists turned their back on her, and Megan told Diablo Cody during the 10 year anniversary of Jennifer's body that she is a feminist who has never been accepted by feminists because she was not sympathetic enough to be considered a victim by their standards. And there is also this fantastic and funny interview between Megan and Diablo that took place, I believe around 2010-2011 where Diablo Cody explained this perfectly. I have a theory about you. Now I don't know okay. you very well, but I think you're a genuinely weird person. <laughs> Thanks. I think you're a very strange, eccentric, weird woman and yeah. I, d I don't think that the press or the public can reconcile weird with beautiful. I guess. And so they just go straight to like entitled or mouthy or something. Right. Right. But like, I just think you're like Crispin Glover weird and <laughs> nobody can figure out how you can be that beautiful and also that strange. There's no fixing that though. There's no, Yeah. it doesn't get better. I just sort of, I have to adapt a little, a little. I hear ya. 
or else I'm just not going to survive it. So that's my very brief thoughts on the Megan Fox situation. It deserves more, but I, I don't think this is the proper format for that discussion. And I don't think I could do it justice. But I could not make this episode and not mention it because not only is it the right thing to do, but anyone who knows me knows that I absolutely love Megan Fox and I have been one of her biggest fans since the beginning. I grew up in an extremely Christian and conservative environment. I did not have any sort of connection to queerness or LGBTQ related anything. It The household I grew up in was if a gay kiss happened on TV, my parents would gag and change the channel. So I was a scared and closeted gay kid who was obsessed with movies and obsessed with pop culture. And all of a sudden, Megan Fox blows up. She arrives. She's everywhere. It's 2007 to 2009. And she's this extremely beautiful, unapologetic, weird, sarcastic, and funny woman who openly discussed being bisexual back then. And that just didn't happen. And as lame as it sounds, growing up, I saw her and I hoped for a day that I could live like that or I could be like that and I could be open about myself and be weird and be honest about who I was. And she was like my connection to a gay culture and she was my only connection to it. Like a lot of gay men had RuPaul. I had Megan Fox. Megan Fox is my RuPaul. <laughs> <laughs> and even just her firing and how really everyone just harped on her society hated her she was labeled as a whore as a slut as a bad actress as a moron stupid like anything you could think of it was directed towards her and not only was she facing that but just the cherry on top of it with Dark of Moon was they just treated her character so poorly and basically was just making more digs at her publicly. Like she was labeled as hot as always, but a bitch. And anytime her character was mentioned, oh, she was mean. Oh, she was a bitch. I didn't like her. I found someone better. Like that was the entire legacy that they kind of put on to Transformers. And it will always put a sour taste in my mouth because I want to love Dark of Moon. It has some of the best action sequences I have ever seen. The Chicago battle is pretty great, but I have such a hard time actually enjoying myself watching it because it's just kind of has a nasty energy about it in regards to Megan. I don't, I just don't like it. And I think Rosie Huntington Whitley, who replaced her, is great and fine. This is no dig at her. I really enjoy her. I have no issue with her. I like her in Mad Max Fury Road. I even like her in this movie. I think she does the best she can with what she is given because she's not given much. But I find it interesting that they had someone who was so uncomfortable with the extreme sexualization that they basically just fired her and replaced her with someone who was used to it because she was a Victoria's Secret model. Like her job was to be hot and that's why they hired her. That's why Michael found her. And yeah, it just, it puts, puts a sour taste in my mouth. And it's the end of, I think, where the heart of these films lied, which was 
Shia LaBeouf and Megan Fox. There's no longer the star-crossed lovers aspect to it. It's missing. And I definitely think you can feel it in this movie. And it's very clear that they did not do much editing to the script regarding Michaela's slash Megan's absence, because it's clear that the role of Carly, played by Rosie, was originally meant for Michaela. Like, I don't think they really changed it. I think they just went in there and crossed out Michaela and wrote Carly. (laughs) Especially when it came to the marriage subplot and when Carly called Megatron a bitch, because I feel like that's something Michaela would have said and not Carly. I don't know. It's a mess of a situation and really drops my interest of it. But again, I don't want to take anything away from Rosie Huntington-Whitley. I think she is talented, did great, whatever. But this movie is very interesting because it does take a different approach to the series. It has a new color palette, a lot more cooler tones. It does have this amazing score, and I think it does have an epicness and a conclusive feeling to the film and the series that I do really think this would have been a great movie if it was able to close out the Sam and Michaela love story because it feels like such a conclusion to a trilogy. And I think there's this weird awkwardness now to the absence of part of the puzzle piece of this series that they, it feels like the character of Carly was very shoehorned in. We didn't really get to know her. There was not much of a character there. So I think this movie would have been better without any love interest and come up with a different excuse, but whatever. I think the storyline is interesting, but of course convoluted. It's very long. But one thing I truly do like about this movie and about this series in general is that I do feel like there is a sense of time being passed and that there are consequences to these films in regarding to the politics and the human transformer relationships. And I think if you look at other film series that happen now, like cinematic universes, don't want to name names, but you know what I'm talking about, you don't really see much consequences. And fuck it. You know, the thing that I have a problem with Marvel... (laughs) Again, I don't want to keep getting into Marvel, but after in, in, in Infinity War, when Thanos snaps and half the universe disappears, and then years go by, and then everyone reappears, and basically it feels like nothing changed from before the snap, when realistically, the world would be in fucking shambles. Everyone would be displaced. There'd be so much homelessness. No one would have jobs. It would be insane. It would be chaos. And while this is should be happening in the world within the context of this series, Spider-Man's just like, yeah, I'm going to go on a class vacation to Europe. Huh? What do you mean you're going on vacation with your class? Like, why are you even in school? Like, the school would be scrambling because half the students disappeared and now they're back. And now what are they going to do about classes? What is going on? Like, I feel like the world would take at least a year to even come up with any sort of step on what to do next. Like, it just drove me crazy that these movies have such high stakes, but then we never see the payoff of these stakes. We never see the effects of these stakes. And I do think we do feel that with Transformers. And I do like that. I feel like there's a lot that happens in between these movies that The audience is supposed to fill in the blanks of what you think happened. And I do think that is a really interesting quality that I don't think a lot of film series have. So I will give it that. And this one does have a much darker and serious tone to it. A lot of the comedy and the manic energy from the first two 
is much more subdued and it's a much more grown-up story and if like the main theme is the character of sam growing up and becoming a man of his own and i guess that would be the heart of this movie the first one being you know a boy in his car growing up being a kid second one being about finding your first love and the third one becoming a grown man of their of his own and again the effects in this one are incredible like i think the transformers look absolutely great there is some messy cgi when it comes to the human aspects like there is some shots of jfk when they recreate him and then there's um a weird wacky shia labeouf face during his fight with starscream that looked like grand theft auto but outside of that i think like the driller is so cool that worm transformer and just fyi the devastator on revenge of the fallen which was that big transformer that came together and made this massive bigger transformer i guess took 72 hours per frame to render but the driller and dark of moon when it's taking out the skyscraper that sam and all the other characters are in required 288 hours per single frame to render that sequence and it paid off it is one of my favorite action set pieces ever i think it is clever it's fun and it's very 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 much transformers and this movie at the time of release not adjusting for inflation became the fifth highest grossing film of all time which has since dropped to the 29th spot as of recording this but it it was a huge success and i do think it is a much cleaner film than revenge of the fallen but i think the situation with megan fox really just drives me absolutely up the wall so like i want to love it i want to have fun with it like i do with the other two movies but it's just like i can't you know but at least they don't have the twins in this one which i do believe they were originally in the script but after revenge of the fallen had such negative feedback about them rightfully so they took them out so it does have some interesting aspects and ideas to it i like the ideas of humans working the decepticons i think patrick dempsey really sells the scummy business villain guy and i think shia labeouf is as good as he always was in these movies and i really liked the inclusion of francis mcdormand who i think fit really well in these movies and was super fun to watch and also buzz aldrin shows up which is pretty (laughs) like the actual buzz aldrin not someone playing him which i don't remember happening and when i watched it i i i was like that can't be really him like i one i thought he was dead but two he was such a terrible fucking actor. I he I was like, it has to be though. So it was. And that was the end of the Wit Wiki trilogy, the Shia LaBeouf trilogy. And Michael Bay did return to direct another installment, which should have never happened. I think <laughs> one, two, and three should have been enough with this series. But Michael Bay kept going, especially after the last one made a billion dollars. So edge of extinction came out in 2014 it's a pretty hard hard reboot so while the first three films had shia labeouf megan fox john turturro josh dumal tyrese gibson julie white and kevin dunn the reboot stars mark Wahlberg, nicola peltz jack rayner stanley tucci kelsey Grammer, titus well Welliver, 
Sophia Miles, Lee Bingbing, and TJ Miller. And let me just say, Mark Wahlberg is no Shia LaBeouf. I am sorry. Mark Wahlberg has no fucking charisma at all. And Shia LaBeouf, it's like oozing out of his pores. So I I hate Mark Wahlberg. I'll just get that out right now. I think he is a shit person. <laughs> he was literally convicted of a hate crime. And that's not to say Shia LaBeouf is a good person either because, you know, he is an abuser. He abused FKA Twigs and um, Mia Goth and probably more. I'm, I don't know. I don't know all the details. Uh, he's a very complicated individual with a very traumatic upbringing. If you've ever seen the movie Honey Boy, you would understand. That's not saying he should be excused for his actions. Um, but I will say the difference between him and Mark Wahlberg is that Shia LaBeouf is actually talented. <laughs> God, I hate Mark Wahlberg so much. Every time he's on the screen, it just sucks all the enjoyment out of the fucking movie. He is such a wet blanket. He's so boring, so irritating and so bland but my the real <laughs> the thing about transformers edge of extinction is that if the first transformers movie was about a boy in his car the second was about a boy in his first love and the third was about a boy becoming a man edge of extinction would be about capitalism <laughs> but capitalism with a whole lot of obvious product placement. And this series is no stranger to product placement. All of it is product placement. I mean, the cars, the Mountain Dew vending machine turning into a transformer, like it's filled with product placement. But this one too is a whole new level. And I just thought it was very ironic that it was considering its anti-capitalist themes, which again, surprised me watching it as an adult because I would have thought... A Michael Bay viewpoint would be very pro-capitalist, <laughs> but it wasn't. I thought that was really interesting, but they don't really do anything with it. And then they had an interesting idea of inventor versus inventor with Mark Wahlberg versus Stanley Tucci, but they don't do anything with it. And then I thought it was interesting that they had like a blue collar versus white collar type situation, but again, they don't do anything with it. It doesn't go anywhere. And it just has this insane runtime where half of the movie could have been cut out. Especially the fucking weird ass age gap. And I have to discuss this because what the actual fuck was this? <laughs> so the characters of Nicola Peltz and Jack Rayner play a couple. And Nicola Peltz plays Mark Wahlberg's 17-year-old daughter. And not only is Nicola Pell sexualized through the whole thing, which is also very weird because she is 17, although, you know, the first one was no stranger to that, where John Turturro's character was very much sexualizing Megan Fox's character, who was like a junior in high school or whatever. So it was no stranger to it, but this one was so fucking bizarre because not only was it just ass shot after ass shot, and them pointing out that her shorts are so short. And then TJ Miller's character says that she's hot. But Mark Wahlberg doesn't allow her to date. And he basically owns her in this movie. And I do think there was this really weird moment where she's calling him daddy. And the way she was saying it sounded so sexual and weird. And 
Mark Wahlberg finds out that she has a boyfriend played by Jack Rayner. And I don't know the actor's ages. That has nothing to do with this, what I'm talking about. Um, Because I'm going to say I hope Nicola Peltz was not 17. I don't think she was. But the character of Jack Rayner was 20 years old and she was 17. And when Mark Wahlberg finds it out, he's like, oh, I'm going to call the police. I'm calling the police. And then the movie makes it a point to justify this behavior by having Jack Rayner's character say, actually, you can't. And he pulls out his wallet and he has like, it looks like a little business card that has the law written on it, the Romeo and Juliet law, like the number, the statue, whatever it's called, the whatever. And he's like, actually, by law, I can fuck your daughter and I'm going to. And there's nothing you can do about it because it's perfectly legal and morally fine. And I'm sorry, but no, 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 no. It's just so weird because they are just saying, "Mm, actually, it's perfectly fine. Look at this up close shot of this law. Like they literally put an up close shot of this card that has the law written on it. Like, see, it's fine. Is it Michael Bay? Is it fine? Because it's getting a little creepy. Actually, it's past a little creepy. It's very weird and very uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable, especially because in the end, basically Mark Wahlberg is like, okay, you can have my daughter, like a heartfelt moment. Like I'm going to pass her on to you. She's now your property. It's weird. It's really weird. And oof, 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 oof. But outside of that, The movie is just has a confusing plot. It could have been simplified. It could have been interesting about the dangers of capitalism and the idea of humans making transformers. But they don't do that. They just convolute it with all this nonsense. All this nonsense. And it's terrible. It's really terrible. This movie sucks. But I do like the introduction of aliens that they have besides Transformers. But again, they don't do much of it. The idea of the character of Lockdown, this Transformer bounty hunter that has no allegiance to anyone and will kill off and betray his race was interesting, but they don't do anything with it. Um, CGI is what you'd expect from a Transformers movie, but the Transformers also get this massive redesign and I'm not sure I fully like it. Um, I think they have like weird human faces in this one and I think it's distracting. Like the old... Autobots versus the new Autobots when they're mixed together, they don't look like they are the same thing because the faces are just so vastly different and human and lifelike for the new ones. And then Bumblebee just, he doesn't even have a mouth. Oh, also there's the Dinobots. I almost forgot about them because they're barely in the fucking movie, but they were so hyped when it was being marketed. And those are interesting. Um, They look cool, but do they make sense? stylistically and story-wise no they don't um and i guess i don't really care (laughs) but yeah i don't really care for any of the characters like this movie could have been so much better if they just focused on characters we knew from the previous movies like josh tumal and tyrese gibson's characters the two soldiers that they focus on throughout the series we could have had that brother-like relationship between the two and that could have been the heart of the movies 
and it could have been them fighting along the Autobots and it would have worked seamlessly because they make the most sense plot wise on why humans would be helping the Autobots, not some random man played by Mark Wahlberg who just says he's an inventor all the time, but has no other personality. And also like, am I meant to believe that Mark Wahlberg knows how to do anything? Like, Honestly, I'm not sure if Mark Wahlberg can walk and breathe at the same time. And I don't mean that to be rude. I just mean that to be honest. That was mean. You know what? I don't, whatever. (laughs) The movie overall is not great. Um, The runtime is so fucking long. The story is so bloated. The pacing is insane. There's 10 movies in this and none of them have any particularly memorable action sequences, which I think is a huge problem in a Transformers movie because that is like the point of watching them. Um, But I do think it's way better than The Last Night, which is Michael Bay's last film, which came out in 2017. And that was a flop. The last um, Age of Extinction also made a billion dollars at the box office. The Last Night did not. It made $605.4 million, which is the lowest this thus far. It made lower than the first film. And with the price of marketing a big blockbuster, they definitely lost money on this movie. No doubt in my mind. The budget was around $260 million plus hundreds of million dollars to market this film. It bombed. So this again is the return of Mark Wahlberg, who, as you know, is not my favorite. They bring back Josh Dumal and John Turturro to kind of tie it back to the original, but they are so criminally underused, especially John Turturro. I don't even know why he was here for a paycheck. That's why he was there. And I do think this movie is genuinely one of the worst movies I've ever watched. And I'll tell you why. For starters, the aspect ratio changes are absolutely horrendous. They're horrendous. There's about 10 different aspect ratios throughout this movie, and it will change within just conversations between two human characters. Like a shot reverse shot will have three different aspect ratios, and I don't understand why. I really don't. The whole time, the screen just kept changing sizes. Every single cut it made. When it cut to a new character, it was a new size. When it cut to an action sequence, new size. When it cut to a different part of that action sequence, new size. Like it was just constantly changing. I felt like I had motion sickness and I could not stop staring at it. I don't know why they went with that. I don't know why movies in general kind of change aspect ratios unless it makes sense stylistically, but this one didn't. Like the best example I can think of that it actually works is with Hunger Games 2 Catching Fire when Katniss Everdeen is being raised into the arena. And as she does that, the aspect ratio slowly starts growing and getting bigger as the camera moves up. It is literally genius. One of my favorite things I've ever seen in film. Here, it makes no fucking sense. And to put it bluntly, this movie is about King Arthur and fucking Merlin. This Transformers movie is about Merlin, the wizard. And I think that basically says it for itself on why this is absolutely horrible. It contradicts everything in the series. All of a sudden, Bumblebee is fighting in World War II. There's these things called the Witwickens that don't make sense. Harriet Tubman, I guess, was working with the Autobots. A watch killed Hitler. I mean, like, the idea of those sounds incredibly insane and, like, oh, that would be fun to watch. It's not fun to watch. It's really not. It's actually frustrating to watch. And I do think 
watching Autobots fight in past wars is an interesting idea, but they don't show it. They show like a very short clip of Bumblebee shooting up Nazis. Like I would have much rather watched that movie. Um, but we didn't really get it. And yeah, it's terrible. And the characters, the human characters are no longer just civilians caught in a battlefield and we're seeing everything through their perspective. Mark Wahlberg's character is now 100% a superhero. He fights a giant sized Decepticon with a sword, like they sword fight. I'm all for silly nonsense. I love the first two Transformers movies. Complete nonsense. Complete nonsense. But this is like their jump the shark moment. It is horrible. And Michael Bay is just on complete autopilot. This is the first one where it doesn't look all that great. It's very, it's more flat than the other ones visually. And with Age of Extinction, I while I didn't think any action sequences were memorable, I can think of moments where I was like, oh, that looks cool. I don't think I thought that for a single second with this one. And so many of the characters in this one are completely pointless. Like Jared Carmichael's character, Isabella Moner's character. Like, I think it was interesting to have a character who is a kid who lost their parents in one of in the Battle of Chicago, it do, it's one of those moments where it shows the effects of these movies. But they don't do anything with it. There's there's nothing. And these the last two films are filled with millions of ideas. And they get maybe two interesting ones. But they don't develop those two interesting ideas at all. And I, I will say I did like Laura Haddock's performance. I thought she was interesting. I do think they really tried to give her this Megan Fox lookalike makeover, which is interesting considering how they treated her. But I do think she was likable, but she's completely sidelined in favor of Mark Wahlberg, who I guess is a knight. And Laura Haddock is a descendant of Merlin. And like, if you've never seen this movie and you're hearing that, like I'm being dead ass serious. I know it sounds like a joke, She's a descendant of Merlin, and she's the only one who can save the day, but they also sidelined her, so. Yeah, and also her and Mark Wahlberg's characters are so awkward. They have this weird forced relationship that was clearly trying to recreate the dynamic of Sam and Michaela from the first two movies with, like, snappy banter, but they have no chemistry, and Mark Wahlberg is so bland and dry that it's just, it's so forced, and I would have, like been okay with all of this if the movie wasn't just so goddamn stupid and unfun. <laughs> I think the only bit of fun in this movie is Anthony Hopkins. And yes, Anthony Hopkins is in this movie, <laughs> believe it or not. And he clearly came for a paycheck and to have fun. And I think he did. And he did get a few chuckles out of me. But this movie fried my brain. It's completely mush, and I struggled to get through it. It's so long. These movies are like almost three hours long, and you can feel it. You can feel it with this one. So that is the end of Michael Bay's legacy on Transformers. Like, going from this huge new technology in this huge movie to going to, I don't know, this mess. If you watched the first Transformers and the last night back to back, you'd have a fucking seizure. Like what the hell is going on? 
They don't feel like they're in the same series at all. It's so fucking weird. It's so weird and not in a good way. It's like weird as in that's a weird choice they made. I don't know. Like it's weird of them to have made this choice. Like, are they okay? What was going on in their minds when they made this movie? So yeah, they end up deciding to reboot it a year later. In 2018, the movie Bumblebee comes out, which I don't know the facts on this. I think it was meant to be a prequel, and then halfway through they're like, we have to just reboot this whole fucking series because the timelines, the continuity is basically all ignored for this new film. It has a new look to it. It now stars Haley Steinfeld, John Cena, Jorge Ledenborg Jr., Pamela Alden, Angela Bassett and Justin Thoreau have Decepticon voices, which I thought they were really fun. But it's a return to the feeling of wonder that I think the first one had and that the series gradually lost as it went on. It is more of a coming of age story than it is an action spectacle, which is something very fresh for this this series. The action is very minimal. And it takes place in 1987. It is supposed to be the origins of Bumblebee coming to Earth, even though in the last one, like, he was fighting in World War II, apparently. And (laughs) it does have the character of Agent Simmons, who was played by John Turturro in the first one as a younger person. But also, none of it makes sense because when they meet Decepticons in this movie, they're like, oh my god, we've never seen a robot before. But in the continuity of the original series... They had Megatron, the big evil bad guy, frozen in the Hoover Dam, and they were taking information of technology from the cube to basically create airplanes and cell phones, and that's how we are so technologically advanced today. So they would have seen these before. So that leads me to believe that this is just a hard reboot, and I really do think maybe that's where the series needs to go because Michael Bay ran that series to the ground. And it's not like those were ever like well appreciated in the first place. (laughs) But this one has a whole new look. Bumblebee is literally the cutest thing I've ever seen. And the redesigns of all of the Autobots and Decepticons, they look like the old cartoon from the 80s. They're very boxy, colorful, vibrant. I absolutely love the look. It's very... E.T. for the Stranger Things era. I do think they set this in 1987 to capitalize off of Stranger Things. Like, come on. There's an 80s trend going on. I've talked about it way too much in this podcast, but it works. It's cute. It has so much heart. It is probably the most heart of all of the movies because, again, it is a coming-of-age growing-up movie before it is a Transformers movie. And I think this is exactly what the franchise is needed after the last two installments. And as someone who is such a big fan of the first two films. I didn't want to let go of those and have it rebooted. But after four and five, that franchise is gone. (laughs) There's no going back to the fun and nostalgia of the first two. That feeling of Maybe I just love those two because I feel like I was probably the target audience when they came out. I was nine and 11, I guess, when those released. So like, yeah, I was a nine-year-old boy seeing these crazy explosions. 
and it has very juvenile humor in it. So obviously I was a fan of them, but I think like they just, there is something special about those two that they completely lost as the series went on, especially with the last two. So I think a reboot was needed. There was, there's no salvaging that series. There really isn't. And I'm not sure if they plan on trying to or not and making Bumblebee a part of that, that canon. I think they said it was, and then they're like, actually it's its own thing. I don't know. I know there's a new installment coming, I think next year, set in the 90s, I believe, called Rise of the Beasts. And I think if it's anything like this one, I'm all for it. Haley Steinfeld is great. It has such a good style. It's cartoony, but the tone and the heartfelt storyline makes it all mash together really well. And the the story is so simple for the first time in a Transformers movie. There's no weird objects that are the soul of a transformer that a human goes to like transformer heaven of these ancient aliens that gives him this object out of dust that turns into this weird dagger thing that he stabs into a big alien's chest to bring it back to life to fight this ancient alien. Like it's, there's none of that. It is simply about a girl dealing with life who finds a robot. It is probably more ET than the first one. But I think the first one and this one have that same quality. So those are kind of my complicated and conflicting ideas I have on the Transformers series. I have a lot of love for it. I have a lot of disdain for it. I think they changed blockbusters. I think the scope of movies, the scope of effects, the scope of visuals was forever changed. And I think that needs to be addressed. I think the first one is genuinely a great movie. I think the um, Bumblebee is genuinely a great movie. I think when they're not great movies, they can still be fun. Some of them, not all of them. The Last Night and Edge of Extinction, I think are genuinely terrible. And I think the movies do have problematic aspects to them that do need to be brought up. But I do think that the first three films were such big events in the summer that to me, they feel like what the summer blockbuster is. And I think without Transformers, we would not have blockbusters today at the scope of what they are. And that is, in a nutshell, my thoughts, my opinions on the Transformers movies. If you've written those movies off, I recommend going back and checking them out. Give them and give them an open mind. And if you truly don't like the style of Michael Bay's filmmaking, which I totally understand. I mean, he's definitely not my favorite filmmaker. Let's get that straight. He's definitely not my favorite filmmaker. I think you should give Bumblebee a try if you haven't yet, because they are, it's so starkly different. And it is just a good time. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you for ignoring the fact that I have stated on many occasions that I would be posting regularly this summer. I am trying my best. Um, This episode has gone on much, much longer than I thought it was going to, so I guess I will just cut it short and say, if you haven't already, please follow The Film Degree on Instagram. My handle is film. Dot degree. I post updates on the show, so even though I don't post regularly, you'll always know when an episode is going to be dropping soon. So 
Thank you so much for listening and you will hear my long-winded opinions on whatever else next time.